Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. My name is Tom, and this is the time that I would normally introduce my co-host by passively aggressively mocking them, or sometimes just outright hostility thrown in their general direction. But, you know, I'm not sure if I should. I mean, it's against the values that I espouse. It does not align with my morals. I just, I fight with it because that's kind of our thing on the show. But, you know, am I setting a bad example for the people that are listening? It's, it's really an ethical question. It it's, it's about morality, which, hey, is what we're talking about today. So join me along with my good friends, Gabe and Josh, for another great episode of Pint Glass Preachers. Pretty hard to spit that out, wasn't it, Tom? It was. Tonight's not a great night. I'm just, so you know. Not, you I thought you did fun. fine, man. I thought no, you did really good. Hey, don't just, run him down. It just seemed a little forced mm-hmm. because he, he doesn't like to talk nice about us or to hey, us. Speaking yeah, of forced, it, let me get into it. Okay, we're talking oh state of the show. I know. Oh, wait, we got to talk about what we're drinking first. Hold on. Then we'll get to the state of the show. Oh, man. Well, I'm going we- first because I have a wild one. It's called the Don Jalapeno uh, from the, the NOLA Brewing Company. So I'm assuming New Orleans, Louisiana. No, it's from Katy, Texas. That's weird. <laughs> no label is what it stands for. <laughs> Anyways. Also, also said like a total Texan, I got a jalapeno beer. Well, anyways, it's yeah, it's a pale brewed with spicy smoked jalapenos, um, and it's real good. Wow. I don't normally like a jalapeno beer, but it's it's quite tasty. Interesting. Uh, what do you got, Josh? Well, I sit. Shout out, final shout out to my brother in law, Tom Bilstein. TJ, if you're listening to this, I have made it through all the beer you sent me from Arizona, and this is the final one. It's from the Dragoon Brewing Company in Tucson, Arizona. Their flagship IPA, Dragoon IPA. Pretty delicious, if I do say so myself. Uh, quite floral and hoppy. So thank you, TJ. Well, so that Josh doesn't have to shamelessly ask TJ, TJ, uh, we're going to keep going with these episodes of Pine Class Preachers. So if you could just go ahead and send Josh more beer, that'd be great. Uh, oh, you yeah. Also I'll send some to me as well. <laughs> no, so. none to Tom. Just keep sending them to my way. You have my address. <laughs> uh, tonight, I am drinking Great Lakes Brewing Company, uh, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Uh, for those of you not from the great state of Minnesota or in the Great Lakes region, the Edmund Fitzgerald uh, was a uh, tanker on Lake Superior that that floundered and uh, sunk to the bottom of the of the lake with all hands aboard on one icy November night back in the seventies. Uh, there, it is eulogized in a song. Uh, look it up on, on YouTube or Google. What Leonard Cohen, I believe. Is the Leonard Cohen? Songwriter. There we go. Yep, the wreck well, of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's a great well, song. Welcome back to the world of beer, Tom. Much like Miley Cyrus, it looks like you finally made it out of rehab. 
<laughs> Came in like a wrecking yeah, it's, ball. It's about it's been a while time. since I've shared a beer on this episode. Cheers. It's been like 12, 12 episodes. Actually. Wait, did anyone give Jared instructions on what to do? Now we're going to introduce Jared later, and then we can ask him about his beer. Okay, for those of you listening and hearing random laughing from a gentleman you haven't met yet, uh, Jared's with us. We'll introduce him later. Um, and where would you be without me? All right, so this is what I want to talk about, though, actually. So this, this weekend, I was at a wedding, and uh, it was with my childhood friends, uh, like literally since second grade, been my best friends. And so they are in this rare position in the world in which there are people who, like, they don't know me as a pastor. Like that idea is just foreign to them. Like I'm still just the kid who had like, you know, a crush on Rachel Lear and farted during seventh grade. And like, you know, I mean like they just do not care about what I do, which is wonderful. Um, uh, but they, they, they like were giving me a hard time about pint glass preachers. And, uh, and so it, it caused me to do some deep introspection into what we do and why we do what we do. Because, you know, admittedly, we've talked about this. And I think we've talked about this on air. Like, we probably started, I'd say, at like a C minus level. And then I think we've gone up to at least a B minus level, if not a B level, as a podcast. And so it's made me think, though, like, like why do we do it? We don't have, like, the largest listenership, but we have somewhat of one. And so well, why do the, we do – What was the critique? On. Was it they were just were confused like, oh, we knew Gabe when, you know, he was doing all this crazy stuff as a kid and now he's Mr. Pastor on a podcast. Or was it because the quality For three episodes of, straight we talked yeah. about going to the bathroom? Or the yeah. quality right. of the episodes in general is just so poor that we can't even impress your childhood friends. I think it's more the second one. Like, I think it's it's probably a mixture of both, to be honest, because part of it is like, it's me, right? So like, I mean, I was in a band for eight years and they gave me, you know, crap about the band all the time too. And so it's like, whenever I do anything, it's just the nature of childhood friends to run you down. But it's that plus they were like, it's not the best podcast I've ever listened to, which I mean, we've never claimed to be serial, you know, like we, we just are what we are. Um, and so actually, isn't that our slogan? Was it Somas Quad Somas? Um, I don't know, but serial is so ridiculously good. Oh, it's outrageously good. Oh, by the way, another great one is called In the Dark. Mm. Insanely good. I'm going to have to write that down. Oh my gosh, keep on track, Gabe. No, but like you had a thought. Tom, it has to do with a kid in Minnesota who like disappears. So Yeah, Jacob Butterling. We're aware. Yeah. What? How do you know? You know him, Tom? Do you know him? Serious? Tom, were you guys childhood friends? All right, very quickly, for those of you who are from out of state Minnesota, Jacob Wetterling back in like 1986, 87, one of those years. 89. 89 was abducted <laughs> and was never found until uh, just last last two weeks. Uh, his killer came forward and uh, pointed the authorities to where his remains were found. Um, Jacob Wetterling's parents have been huge in the uh, – in the arena of, uh, of awareness uh, around child abduction. Uh, my, my personal connection to this is that uh, I lived in Minnesota when Jacob Wetterling was, was abducted and I looked exactly like Jacob Wetterling. I mean, dead what? ringer. When I would play in the front yard, cars would slow down and like people just gawk and look. Uh, we even had a 911 call in Breckenridge, Minnesota uh, with someone claiming that they had seen Jacob Wetterling and we are 95% sure they had driven past our yard and, and seen me and made the call. And so I, that's my, that's my little connection to, to Jacob Wetterling. So keep that's going. That's amazing. 
and there's a podcast about his disappearance that's way better than ours. Okay, moving along. Um, so my point being, why do we do this? And so I would pose that to you, gentlemen. Why do you do this? I know my answer. Well, I'll answer this right away, and I, I think it's because, you know, G Gabe, you and I were in the car one day, and we were talking. We were talking about you know, ministry and, and reaching out to people and your desire to do something outside of the church, my desire to do something outside of my role when I was with Youth Encounter, um, our desire to do something together. And the thing that, that I constantly came back to is I was not being fulfilled in, in my church because my pastor was not being relevant. He was talking about God, but in such a way, it was always like this hokey little story at the beginning of the sermon about some shipping magnet in England back in the 1800s who did this and that, and then, and then compared it to a Bible story. And that didn't make any sense to me because nobody's a shipping magnet who makes millions of dollars living in England in my church. And so I said, when I'm around the water cooler, I need to be talking about when we're talking about worldly events, I want my worldview to be shaped in some part by my pastor. And so that's not happening. And so when I think about the 25 to 40 year old male crowd, me, and not getting that, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I want to be able to be that place where people can come and say, you know what, I'm not sure what to think about Trump and Hillary through a cr Christian lens. And here we have two you know, moderately decent pastors and some guy who's maybe heard about Jesus before talking about it in such a way that's, that's normal. And that's why I do it. Love it. Thank you, Tom. Deep. Uh, yeah. My, my reason is not nearly as deep or valiant of an effort as I hear yours, Tom, and assume yours to be Gabe. Uh, the reason that I got into this was because, um, pretty much all of the early episode antics that you hear between Gabe and I, that sort of happens every single time we talk on the phone about mm -hmm. anything. And I remember there was a string of phone calls uh, a couple years ago now. Well, I guess maybe it was like a year, year and a half ago where we were like singing, you know, nineties and early millennium Christian songs to each other. And then just kind of, you know, BSing around for a couple minutes. And then we would end up in these fairly deep, oftentimes argumentative theological discussions about stuff that either we were facing in our own ministries or that we were just curious about or whatever. But um, one day I think, I think you rec you sort of made the suggestion Gabe, but I had been thinking it as well. And we kind of almost blurted it out together of like, man, uh, we think that this is entertaining, not just for ourselves, but maybe for other people as well. So let's just start recording ourselves doing the same kind of crap we do on the phone with each other for a wider public audience. Cool. Cool. No, that's good. And, and I think, Oh, I did it, Tom. I turned my head. Uh, I think that's been a, uh, uh, for me, like I started where Tom was at and I was like, man, this is like really hopefully going to be a, a host of a conversation for people that, that want to be a part of it. And I certainly hope that's the case. Um, but then, you know, podcasting is hard. Like not, not to, I mean, like us BSing over microphones one night a week is, is not that hard. Um, but coordinating the schedules for that, Josh, you editing it, promoting it, uh, having things that are worth talking about, bringing those up and, and being hopefully at least a little bit well-versed in that, coordinating interviews, that sort of stuff. Like to do it really well is really hard. And we all have like 
jobs that are you know, like we have day jobs that that we spend time in and care about and matter to us. And so that like led me into this crisis of like, yeah, is do I really need to be doing this? Like, who cares? What what difference is it making? Um, but for me, it's kind of come down to, I guess, two things. Like one is, it's just a passion project. Like if, if I'm just kind of selfish about it, like I love getting, you, you two are two of my best friends. And so I love just getting to talk with y'all and talk to y'all about stuff that I care about. And, and so it's just kind of like, it forces our hand in doing that. But then the other thing I suppose would line up with Tom in that I think, my dream for us was that our reach would be this big, massive thing at this point. Cause what are we like six months in? I don't know. We're maybe not even that yeah. far into it. We but just dropped, we just dropped episode 16. Okay. So we just dropped episode 16. I think my thought was like, man, we'd have this massive reach by this point and, and we'd like have turned the, 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 the momentum, like just rolling down the hill and we'd just be killing it. And, and frankly, we, you know, our numbers aren't huge. It's nothing like that. We haven't started a movement, but we have, I, I've heard enough conversation with people who I know or people who've contacted us on social media or whatever that have been like, all right, man, for, for us three that get to do this and then our listeners, whoever you are, thank you for listening and being a part of this. It's worth it for that. Like, it's awesome that we get to do this with each other and with a group of people. And to me, I'm like, let's just keep freaking going then because it's, it's fun and it's hopefully helpful for some people. So this wasn't yeah. a breakup state. Of no, the show. no, it wasn't a breakup talk. It was just like a. I just want to. This is a pep talk. I just want are to be realistic about who we are and where we're at. So really, you're just throwing the comments of your childhood friends back into their faces. They can. Can I? We don't ever get too crude on this show. No, but you could say something somewhat crude. They can suck it. There, there you go. <laughs> iTunes, it. try and censor that. Censor that. Yeah. Steve Jobs. Rest in peace. Okay. <laughs> Too far? Uh, All right, Josh. A little bit. Listen, before I go on this rant, um, I think let's just take a quick break. And thank you, Janet O'Neill. You have made some phenomenal musical recommendations for yeah, us. Yeah, you have. And so we're just going to take a quick breather because that was a little heavy. It was a little tense. Um, and when we jump back into things, I've got a rant. Yes, me. Shocking. A rant. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to do a rant on this show? I know, right? Never. Never. So check out this music per the recommendation of Janet O'Neill, our most faithful listener. And when we return, yet another rant by Josh Woodrow. We'll see you then. Mm Well, Janet, again, thank you for that recommendation. It was everything we hoped for from you and more. Uh, Just beautiful, beautiful choice. Man, so tonight we are going to talk about morality and ethics. And Josh, you apparently have some chip on your shoulder. Would you mind explaining this to us as we uh, get into this topic today? I would be more than happy to. I want to know why, as an American society, we are so afraid to take a stand on anything resembling morality and don't 
mishear me or misunderstand me and say, and think that I'm like a Trump supporter and trying to say like, you know, that as a conservative Christian, oh, we, this country is not for Jesus anymore or something like that. No. What I mean is this. I have been anticipating over the summer the return of not only all of my favorite shows like The Walking Dead, among others, but new shows to syndicated television that the fall always brings. And toward the end of summer, I started to see, um, you know, the promotional, you know, spots for this show called The Good Place. And as a theologian, and especially a Christian theologian, it piqued my interest because it was supposed to be about, you know, the good place, aka the positive, optimistic, you know, well-mannered afterlife with just a hint of comedic relief. And so I tuned in to the pilot episode this week. And I literally couldn't make it through 10 minutes of it because you, you've got this opening scene where this woman shows up in the good place talking to who is, I mean, Ted Danson, who's supposed to be like either the God character or the gatekeeper of the good place or the, you know, welcomer. I don't even know exactly what his role is. I didn't make it through the whole Saint episode. Peter. Yeah, sure. Whatever. And his opening line, once this chick is like, Hey, where am I? Yeah, yeah. He's like a spiritual bartender, um, the afterlife bartender. And she's like, oh, where am I? He goes, oh, welcome to the good place. And she's kind of confused. And he and he starts to describe the good place as it's not the heaven or hell that you grew up learning about. Uh, as a matter of fact, no one really got it right except for the stoner from Canada. And oh, so man. he got 90% of it right. And you're just in the good place. Ugh. And you want to know how you make it here? From the very second that you're born, every single decision you make either has a positive impact on the world or a negative impact on the world from the type of Chipotle fillings you choose to fill your burrito with to whether or not you commit murder or something. And there's like these graphics popping up of like, you know, uh, green numbers counting like into infinity and beyond like Buzz Lightyear kind of stuff. And then you've got other people where numbers are in red and they're like going down and every decision is, is weighted with this numeric value. And then he goes, and only the top like echelon or top percent of people who did a lot of good things in their life make it to the good place. And so here, you know, you'll meet your soulmate. Uh, this is what happens in the good place and everything is perfect exactly how you want it to be. So like we cater your house, your food preferences, you know, the, the oh. neighborhood that you live in, everything is catered around what like drives you what meets all of your needs your felt needs the ones you don't even know about your desires blah 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 and so literally two segments in i just stopped it and i told my wife i was like i literally cannot watch this anymore and it's not because it was somehow like offensive to what we talked about last episode or the episode that's that dropped a couple weeks ago about death and the afterlife it, it wasn't offensive as a Christian theologian and pastor, what just turned me off was exactly what I opened my rant up saying. Why is it that as Americans, anything resembling morality, unless it's some overly optimistic view and an all-inclusive, all-encompassing view, other, other than that, we are just terribly afraid to take a stand and say, you know what? I don't necessarily buy that or that, hey, there are actually some things that I would say are wrong or immoral um, other than making a poor choice on a Chipotle meat decision. <laughs> Dude, listen, here's the whole – I mean 
here's the whole problem with that. Like, oh, so if I understand the, the premise of the show, it's this. Uh, you follow all the right rules. You do all the right things that lead to a positive impact on the world, however you want to define that. Um, well, and- here, well, let me give you an example. So this, the, the, the opening segment was like the whole description, right? And then the second segment, here's this woman who's like, wait a second. I don't think I belong here because I don't remember doing any good things. And she's like, well, maybe no one else is as good as, as, as that anyway. So she's like at this like dinner party of sorts, you know, and they're hanging out and like everyone she talks to, they're like, Oh yeah, you know, I fed like 10 million hungry people um in Ukraine during, you know, this invasion by Russia. Or oh yeah, I spent my whole life's work developing, you know, a cure for AIDS or I gave all my money away. You know, so it's like it it sets it up right to not just like making good decisions but based solely on as the like the 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 totality of your life whether it made a very in my opinion, shallowly positive impact in the global well, economy. To, to be fair, finding a cure for age would, would not be a shallowly positive. Okay, yeah, that, that would be, be shallow. A, pretty, pretty legit impact. But, but nor was that actually on the show. I sort okay, of embellished but, well, a little bit. I embellished. I made it up. But at I'm any ranked. rate, what's, what the reward then is you go to the good place, but the good place is the fulfillment of all your hedonistic desires is what it, it sounds like to me. It, yes, exactly. It just, yeah. I mean, that's a great, it is, is a, it is hedonism at its finest. And so that ultimately, I mean, but that, that then is the, I, I mean, maybe I'm jumping into this too quick, but, but that is the inherently, I would say American, probably Western is even fair to say, um, mode of ethics that whatever makes you happy, whatever brings you pleasure, right? This is Lucretius. This is first century Roman empire on the purpose of life that whatever makes you happy, whatever brings you pleasure, that that's the end game, that that's what matters. And that's ultimately what your reward is if you do all these good things in this show is that you, uh, you get what makes you happy and you get to live out your hedonistic fantasies. Uh, yeah, I guess. Insofar as they're not like SVU hedonistic fantasies. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was stuff like there's one of the little, you know, because like I said, they, they try and relieve some of probably the tension that they assume people will have, at least on the onset, uh, with, you know, little comedic jokes. And so like one of the things they reference is that there's like 50 Froyo joints, you know, on every corner because who doesn't like frozen yogurt? You know what I mean? Right, right. But Which is true. Um, is true. Yes. So fortunately... You know, we have a morality I, expert here. Well, great, but before we get there, I think we need to bring in we need to bring in our guest because yeah, he's sorry, been waiting patiently. <laughs> and I really want to I really want to have him in on this discussion because he's a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Jared Rendell. And Jared and I came to Thrive in Financial at the same time and we got to know each other because we had very similar jobs there at Thrivent where we were connecting with local churches, local nonprofits, local businesses. And uh, we got connected that way. We realized we had a very similar background coming from the camp world, uh, things like that. Uh, We both had very similar uh, desires and designs on our career moving forward as far as uh, being in nonprofit leadership and and continuing to impact the kingdom of God in in, in different ways. And so uh, we've, and we've so been friends now Thrivent, for about- if you're listening, we're still looking for sponsors. Yes, we nice. are. So Nice. Thriving Financial, not just for Lutherans anymore. <laughs> uh, 
so uh, Jared and I have both since moved on from Thrivent, but uh, Jared, Jared, you are, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about what you do at Vibrant Faith Ministries because uh, I looked at your job title and I didn't really know what it was. Like, I know what Perfect. I know what you're doing because we've talked enough, but right. I want I want to have to say about it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Jared, so yeah. good to have you, man. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Um, yeah, Tom and I, Tom and I got accused of being sort of clones of a few times. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, so my role with Vibrant Faith. Um, my wife got me my job at Vibrant Faith. She worked at Vibrant Faith for 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 a while before I did. Um, and it's a neat company. Has taken some um, some evolution over the past few years. My title, the one that Tom is talking about, riddled with ambiguity, is I'm the partner for digital strategies. Um, nice. Right? So, <laughs> which you just get to lump a bunch of fun stuff into. Um, so I do, I, I, I've got some internal stuff, like I, uh, our own website and communications and digital stuff it falls under me. And then I work with pastors and uh, regional church Sorry leaders, people like that. And, uh, and sometimes that means design a website. Sometimes that means um, do some coaching or, or, or training or speaking or things like that on the intersections of um, of ministry and what's going on in, in the digital world and social media and things like that. Real quick. What is vibrant faith? The company? I mean, I, uh, I suppose more yeah. of it outside of a company, but sure. Really? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, perfect way to say it even. So, cause we sort of talk about our name is our, we talk about our name is our mission. Okay. Um, so, uh, we connect similarly like I do with, with a digital lens. We connect with, with pastors, with church leaders and um, try to help them look ahead and try to help them get unstuck. So we've got coaching and training and some consulting and um, sometimes I focused on a different area. Sometimes I, I certain like there's some leadership coaching packages. There's some events on uh, what, where we see the church going and what some of the research is saying is going on. Cool. And so, um, so we've got just a small staff, handful of us, five or six of us, a few part-time folks um, that are, are connecting with these leaders in different ways and, um, and helping them do, do their job better and helping them, um, like I said, hopefully be, be able to kind of get unstuck from doing the same thing. Um, because cool. I, I think I'm in the company of people who know this and see this, we can't, we can't just, do and be church the same way that uh, that it's been happening for a long time, and uh, there are a lot of churches that are really stuck trying to do that over and over again. Yep. Cool. So that's what I get to do. That's awesome, good. man. Love yeah. it. Very cool, Jared. Very cool. Glad to have you with us today, man. Yeah. Um. So we're talking morality. Let's. Can I just lay out sort of a a basic framework for us? Just sort of lay out some some common philosophical themes. Uh, in the discussion of morality, and then and let's kind of get into it even more. So, as opposed to just blindly walking around trying to figure out this whole thing, right? Which is wouldn't be uncommon for us, number one, and is certainly not uncommon for <laughs> uh, our culture. I think so. But see, go on. See, this is what. See, this is how we're getting better. We're 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 setting common ground. This is all good. Way Tom, go, don't Tom. get don't get overly defensive, Tom. Ha! <laughs> All right. So basically, 
in uh, in ethics, you have kind of a generally in, in philosophical categories, you have two categories. Uh, you have deontology, uh, which is duty based ethics. Okay, so that that being the idea of like, hey, uh, Ten Commandments, for example, could be seen this way. Although we can discuss that in a second here, uh, but being like hey, this is right because it's right. And so you do your duty because it's the right thing to do. It's just kind of inherently you do it because it's right. The other side of, of the coin here is, is what we call um, teleological ethics, uh, which is an end-centered ethics. Uh, and so uh, telos is the Greek word for, for end. So teleological end-centered ethics, where you say uh, utilitarianism is an example of this, right? So utilitarianism says uh, the, the end justifies the means, Right, so so if this is going to get to a good end, then it doesn't really matter what I do, insofar as I'm serving that end. And so those are kind of your your two uh, general categories in philosophy surrounding ethics. Either it's duty based or it's end based. It's end centered. Um, but then within those categories, some would say, well, it's subjective what your duty is 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 all purely socially constructed or it's individually constructed and it's just purely based on your your culture and there's no real truth outside of whatever we've defined it to be as far as morality goes um and then there's some that would say no 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 no, no. there there is an objective way of doing deciding what's right and wrong and and we need to abide by that and so you kind of get into a subjective, objective thing. But those can both fit with inside teleological and deontological. Cool? We all tracking? Yep. All right. Let's pause real quick. Um, what do you think? If, if we were to say we're all Christian dudes here, uh, Christian ethics, is it teleological or deontological? It's a combination of both. Um, because throughout scripture, you see that there are direct mandates such as the 10 commandments, um, and plenty of other instruction throughout scripture from, you know, the garden of Eden all the way until, you know, Jesus's ascension. And yet in that, I think for the Christian, um, aside from doing good, being moral, however you want to describe it as a deontological approach, I think that we would have to say that, yes, that matters. However, our focus when it comes to morality is, is really a teleological kind of, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, our, our focus and our end goal is always on, hey, we're going to do this because this is just sort of what we do and the end will justify the means in the sense that when Christ returns, our faithfulness to trusting him is is ultimately what mattered. That sounds actually sort of heretical. So, Well, no, no, no. I think you're right, actually, but I would how you phrased it is heretical. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah. Is, <laughs> no, I know after I said it, I was like, wait a second. Is, no, no, no. I would actually argue that Christian ethics, I'm not sure biblical ethics is teleological, if, if I can make that distinction which maybe that is heretical for me to say that, but Christian ethics specifically narrowly looking at those of us who are followers of Jesus is teleological, is end-centered in the sense that what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, right? And so really 
I would argue the, 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 the rule for the Christian is that we live into the ethics of the kingdom of God. Now, that's not an ends justified. So utilitarianism and teleologicalness are not the same thing. Utilitarianism is just an example of being teleological, right? So, so being teleological is saying I'm living towards a certain end, and we would say our end is the kingdom. And so everything we do is aimed towards the ethics of that end. Which so at least is a definition if – the kingdom isn't a unlike the good place. The kingdom of heaven isn't a physical location. It's not heaven, but the kingdom is the rule and reign of Christ in your life and over all creation. And so in that sense, I would say it actually is biblical morality from a teleological perspective, because to listen to the instructions of Christ and to attempt to follow them deontologically you're actually sort of fulfilling the telos of present right. coming right, right. The, way, the, the way i think about it is absolutely we are looking towards that end to that we are going to go to heaven and be with jesus and so um there are something comes that, to us tom we covered this two weeks ago oh, <laughs> so, uh, so as a christian i choose to live in a certain way it, that th those are my means to an end. I choose to not sleep around with other people. I choose not to do this, do that, or whatnot. I choose not to slander people. I choose not to lie or whatever as best to my ability. But then at the same time, that is still fulfilling law-based Ten Commandment kind of stuff. Yeah, but, but it's... But it it's, is facing towards the end, right? Yes, but that's the thing is to say... But see, it's it's different in in that um, we get into this idea of what we call the now and the not yet. Okay, so so in the one sense, Tom, you by virtue of your faith in Jesus are already brought into the kingdom of God. Like it's a done deal, right? Whether yep. you go out and like sleep with a bunch of people and and start slinging dope on the corner, whatever murdering. else, murdering, don't do that, Tom. Don't. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever. But we're not going to judge. Um, but uh, we will. Um, but 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 you already, regardless of what you do, by virtue of your faith in Jesus, we would argue because of grace, you're brought into the kingdom. Nothing's changing right. that. And so the whole idea of duty, in my mind, is actually removed. It's gone. There's no duty on your end. Like you, you I said duty. But like you don't, you don't have to like. You don't <laughs> That's our show, to, folks. Right there. there. Uh, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Ah, but. Because you understand what this kingdom is that you've been brought into and that one day the realization of this kingdom is going to be a concrete reality, not just a sort of metaphorical spiritual one that we aspire to, but it's going to actually be what it is in this world. You start living into the future through the life you live now. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you just eloquently put what I didn't and also just kind of put a bow tie on this episode. So I think good 25 minutes into this we're done we're done i mean right thank goodness i'm here well done glad we figured that out yeah done instantly i have to I, go ask my wife to be quiet go jared <laughs> so um he, i was thinking about how um how like josh when you said right away it feels like a combination of both that's what it feels like that's what it feels like to me too um and i say that because um as I think about, as I think about being a dad, I would have conversations, uh, 
with with both of those things as motivators for for my son saying saying we're gonna you know we're gonna make these kinds of choices we're gonna do these kinds of actions um uh because because good things will happen because um then we'll get to do that right you say if we if we do this uh if we do this good thing we're gonna get to do that good thing that works really well for lots of for lots of kids but at the same time i when I step back and think about how I want to, what I want my, my son, my daughters to learn thing, because it's the right thing. Mm. Like I, w- I want them to be able to, I would want them to be able to make a choice because simply that was the right thing outside of, because often when we think about end, right. When you think about that, that teleological end, um, like the good place, Josh, it, it's hard for that to not be a re- reward of some kind. And so yeah. then we're just doing the right thing because there's some reward. But I, I don't so, think that's necessarily like a – I don't think that's a bad thing, though. As a matter of fact, I think that's a very – oh, man, this is going to sound bad again. I think it's almost a very Christian thing because, you know, even look at Paul's writings. Like, he knows that he's not supposed to do bad things, but he doesn't – but he keeps doing them, but he wants to do the good things because he knows that's what the right thing to do. And in doing those, there's like – the reward is a sense of faithfulness. I mean, in, in almost every parable that Jesus gives, it is you see like a reward for being faithful and obedient. And yet we don't, and we wouldn't say that that is the end of our, I don't want to use moral because it's not really moral, but the end of our obedience isn't so that, that we can, you know, receive like some type of gift or anything, but is simply to be faithful. And so like on the one hand, it, it has to be both that yes, we do it in order to receive reward, just like your kids are going to follow the rules and be obedient so that they can receive affection, attention, you know, whatever the case may be from you, same thing with my kids. And so what what I think we need to avoid is Mm -hmm. like becoming overly legalistic about it to say that, well, we shouldn't even try to do anything good. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't matter from a teleological perspective. So yeah, Jerry, you're right, Paul, I mean, right. Cause right after that Philippians three, right. Paul calls it prize. Right. Yeah. Like, like it says all that stuff. I, you know, I've done this, I've done this and this, but I press on to win the prize. Right. Like prize yeah. equals upward call of God prize equals, but yeah, but the, you know, I, I have no idea what the, you know, what any of those original words are, but, um, but uses that kind of term. Yeah. That's interesting. You're right. That's yeah. not a bad thing. I think you're right. Yeah. I should so use it, it as a parent. So hopefully not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, so I guess it, it really is a question of finding the balance and what is the balance between saying, I'm going to do this in a utilitarian manner, meaning I'm just going to do it because I'm trying to accomplish something on the back end versus I'm going to do it just because it's sort of the right thing to do and being okay with some type of absolute belief that it is the right thing to do, even if there are other people who would say, how do you know that's the right thing to do? Or I don't even believe that there is one right way to do it. Yeah. Can we, with, with that, I mean, can we start with, I mean, there are certain things, I mean, 10 commandments aside and everything, I mean, murder, there's not a whole lot of people on this earth that would say they can make a moral justification for it. But there right? are many people can make a moral justification for killing someone. Sure. But killing is different than murder. Okay. So the death penalty, if, 
if we're truly trying to embody the morality of Jesus as some, namely Shane Claiborne, who's probably the most famous of them to do this, then the death penalty is not an option for the Christian because it is simply, it is committing murder. And that is, you know, for, forbidden by Christ. Eye for an eye? Yeah, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for pray those, for those who persecute you. you. Yeah. So you can, I, I think you can still love them. I think you can still pray for them, but there is still a penalty. Well, and so in that, Tom, your logic there is Romans 13, right? That says the government does not bear the sword in vain. And so that's kind of right. been the typical conservative Christian response to, say, a Shane Claiborne who says, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, never death penalty. And then the typical conservative Christian says, well, Romans 13, the government has the right to bear the sword. And so actually, they're just fine to do that. That's God carrying out his justice this side of eternity. Right. Yeah. So, you, so it's, it's tricky. Right. Yeah, I guess it is because I was going to go down this road of there are some things that are across religions, across cultures that are that are taboo no matter where you go. But then there are certain things that start getting into, you know, hey, American culture, we're totally okay with this. But, you know, per our conversation in our last episode, you know, but in a Muslim culture, it's not, you know, right. and, and, and so then we get to those types of things. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess you're right. I mean, we, we, we can make a moral justification for almost anything. Well, and so let me maybe throw us down a, a terribly dangerous rabbit hole here. Um, so, so, uh, I'm down with that. We all are about that. Let's do that. Yeah. All right. You guys ready? So, so Bonhoeffer talks about this. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the great theologian uh, around time of World War II, tried to assassinate Hitler. Okay. This could be a super dangerous rabbit hole considering the book I've recently acquired. Dude, well, I want to hear about that later. But listen, here's the thing. So Bonhoeffer would say this. He'd say, you can't read the Gospels. You can't read about Jesus Christ and his ethics and not be a pacifist. He'd say, you can't do it. And then he, out of the same breath, would say, and you can't exist in this world and be a moral person and be a pacifist. Okay, so, so understand what he's saying. Yeah. Is, and now, he lived during World War II. Is he saying, one, you can't actually listen to what Jesus actually said and not end up a pacifist, and you can't actually be a moral person and remain a pacifist, that there's some things that require the sort of justice. What do we do with that? So, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I know first, it's like... The first question that... that yeah that I come to right away is I, I when you say Jesus, I, I, I completely get that. But then I think about how, how Jesus is part of the triune God. And one of the other parts of the triune God, God, the father was pretty darn specific with the Israelites as they were coming into the promised land about just wiping whole people out. I mean, we're talking genocide here, right? Well, and so Bonhoeffer's and, point would be this, like, ignore that. Just for, for the sake of the mental experiment, ignore that. Okay. Okay. Well, you don't, I don't even think you need to ignore it. You can overcome that just saying that the, the nature of the covenant with God and his people and the inheritance of the promised land was different. Yeah. Um, 
than it than it was with Bonhoeffer than it was with Christ uh, because once the essentially once the, the theocratic rule of God over Israel right. ended, then the shift was. I mean, th- this was the exact confusion that the original disciples had because they thought Jesus as Messiah was going to come and reinstitute the Davidic covenant, therefore take back Jerusalem and essentially wipe out genocidally or otherwise the Roman Empire and Israel would be restored to its rightful ownership right. of not only the promised land, but basically the entire earth. And what right. Jesus came, even though he said, I come you know, with a sword and, and not a peace, he was still like, but it ain't going to happen like it did back in the day. So, so a short way to say what Josh just said, Tom, is just ignore that and just focus on Jesus. It was okay, far that, more that is my point. It was far more eloquent the way that I ranted okay. about it. That- <laughs> so, Gabe, you you had an excellent the- or not theological, sorry, uh, moral ethical dilemma. The when we're talking about Bonhoeffer, Nazi Germany, things like that. Right. You had this the the quintessential ethical question. I want you to ask it. And then Jared, I want you to take first crack at it. Okay, you ready? Here's the here's the like the, like so. I actually do teach teach ethics as an adjunct professor once in a while, and so uh, this is like a this is your classic ethical framework. You ready, Jared? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Don't mess it up. Vibrant wow. faith will throw, come for throw you. Throw Tom's friend under the bus. Okay. So you, Jared, it's World War II. You're in uh, Nazi Germany. And you are, are hiding uh, Jewish people in the basement of your house. And the Gestapo shows up and they say, Jared, are you hiding Jews in your house? What's the right answer? Yes. That's a great question. No. Um, yeah, <laughs> wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Yes now no? we're confused, Jared. What's know, going on? No. I know I did a little on purpose. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sit, like it, if that were actually the situation, I would lie. You would lie. Yeah. We're, you would tell I, Yeah, absolutely. Is that the right ethical decision? Right. Yes. Why? Yeah. Um, here's why I think right. because, uh, because bottom line, it, it, period it always always comes down to choice and it's a little bit josh where um where the good places and the the premise there is interesting because um because it it comes down to sometimes the 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 good of the world the good of whatever the the whether the world is really small and it's a couple people or the good of the world period um it comes down to the to the good of the world and it, we're always going to make, it's just going to happen. We're all, it's always going to come down to, it's always going to come down to choice. Right. And that's where the, that's where the moral plays out. That's where the ethic plays out. Um, and it's actually where it, as a really, as a really poor heady theologian, it just comes down to a heart level thing actually. And a soul level thing actually, where I couldn't bring myself to know teleologically to know the end of that situation. And so the, the, yeah, the means there, I would for sure lie. But um, so Jared, let me just push you on this. Okay. Cause this is the whole issue is, would yeah. you say lying oh, is yep. always wrong? Is it always wrong to lie? No. Okay. You wouldn't. 
Like, for instance, if your wife says, what do I look like? <laughs> <laughs> do I look good in oh, the answer? Oh, yes. um, no. That's the perfect, oh, that's the perfect trivia one. Um, oh, my gosh, Tom. Why did you do but, that? Jen is listening. Jen doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah, Jen doesn't listen. We all know that. Let me let me throw this. Let me throw this. Uh, let me throw this by back back at that classic ethical scenario. All right, Professor Gabe. Yes. Um, my child. And I don't know if this is like sidestepping it, but I think that that maybe it is a. I don't know. I think it might be a good answer. So, if I am. Doing it as a Christian, so let's just say the the presumption is I am a a Christian who is hiding Jews in my house. Okay, uh, before I even engage the dilemma of should I lie to the Gestapo or not, the first act in which I'm engaging in is a very biblical hospitality, mm-hmm. in which there are guests in my home. And according not just to scripture, but to ancient and and also modern Near East, or I'm sorry, Middle East practice in terms of hospitality is that when you welcome a guest into your home, whether they are a friend or foe, it is your moral obligation to also protect them from danger and from harm. And so before I even attempt to answer that moral dilemma in my mind of, okay, should I lie and protect these Jews or should I give them up because lying is bad? Maybe I'm operating under a completely different premise, which would say these are strangers in my midst, guests in my home. And so therefore that, that decision of to lie or not doesn't actually exist. No, because now you have to go back even further before the fact that you have extended them hospitality, but you are going against the rule of the land by extending hospitality to not, them. Not necessarily, because if you weren't in Germany, it wasn't a law of the land. It was the law of a powerful oppressor who was coming in to create new laws of the for, land. For, but so here's here's what's interesting, Josh. What what you're getting at, what we're driving at here, it's fascinating. Is, is two views, so, so Christians in general, we would say when it comes to morality, are absolutists, that we believe there is, there is something outside of us that dictates what is right and wrong morally, uh, just generally speaking. But then when you get to that, there's two different ways of looking at absolutism in terms of morality. There's graded absolutism. That, that says uh, the greater good ultimately trumps, that there's, there's a time in which, for example, Josh, to your point, that if I practice hospitality, that morality in that moment trumps all other moralities. And so it's, it's a graded absolutism. But then there's what I would call conflicting absolutism, which says, you know what? Uh, you choose the lesser of two evils, and you're still wrong. It's still evil, but it's the lesser of two. Well, my question on your picking the lesser of two evils is how are you making a judgment on on that? I mean, we're, I mean, you're basically taking the sixth against the eighth commandment here. Right, exactly. This oh, is good. Well, not the sixth. So, sixth is the not, not having sexy sex. Yeah. Oh, oh right, right. Don't be Death? an adulterer, Tom. <laughs> Stop with your adultery. <laughs> so, um, so, why do you focus on that one? every Every, every time. time. So, f- sorry, fifth, fifth versus eighth. It's the fourth for the eighth. 
No. No, it's not the fourth. fourth is fifth. honor your father and mother, which by extension goes to authority structures over you, which would oh, be. Oh, well, I'm going. I'm going to referring to, to the fact that we know that if you give up the Jews, they're going to be murdered. So you are murdering. So okay, fine. Five and eight. Fifth commandment. Whatever. So I mean, are a we bit taking of an interpolation, Tom? But I'll are we? Ta- are also, we taking- how we number our commandments is different than like every other denomination. But yeah, actually, I would even say that it's not even right. biblical to number. It doesn't our, matter what number wrong they are. The first, the first word. It's not even commandments. The first word, Navar. That's word, not commandment. Those are two different words. The first word is actually a word of gospel and redemption, and then the instructions follow. Yeah, more on that later. Tom, go. <laughs> you're you're just deciding between two different commandments, whatever numbers they are. Then yeah. that you're saying, well, murdering is worse than lying. When I don't think God makes that distinction. Right. So that's so. Okay. So, you, yep. Yes. Well, you're right. I agree we, with you. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yet, thankfully, we have distinctions like two kinds of righteousness or left and right hand kingdom rule and all kinds of other Lutheran paradoxes that sort of allow us to wiggle out of that exact response. Or I guess not wiggle out of it to embrace it fully. So let me throw this out because this is what we're seeing. So Josh says, hey, I wiggle out of it because I've got a, a better choice. I would say he's got loose morals. He's got loose morals. Hey, I'm loosey-goosey. That's why he's got so many kids. <laughs> hey, oh. doesn't look like him. Uh, so is that, that is too true. far? No. Okay. Well, I mean, she's black, so. <laughs> okay. Gabe, how many times have you had to ask tonight if that was too far? Yeah, that's – oh. <laughs> Story too, of my life. Too many. Too Story many. Story of my life. <laughs> Still too far? All right. No. So so what I would land on, and this is just because I'm typically a negative Nancy, is um, is I would say the right ethical choice is to say no. I mean, obviously, we all know the right ethical choice is to say, no, I don't have Jews in my basement, right? Like, that's for sure the right ethical choice. Uh, but is it is it like – in the center of the universe, is it wrong? Did you commit a sin when you said, when you lied to the government? As evil it is, as it is, did you commit a sin? And my answer yes. would be yes, you did. Sure. Yes. So yes. I'd say do it, own it, do it every time. repent, yep. and carry on. Yes. Cool. This, I mean, it gets a little gave to what you were talking about that you were talking about, right? There's this, oh, there's always this subjective, objective thing going on here whenever we're talking, yeah. whenever we talk morals, whenever we talk ethics, it, it feels to me like, <clears throat> it feels to me like, and I was going to sort of say like 95% of, of, of how we come at it just has to be subjective, but I think it's actually more than that. Our reality is always subjective, yep. period. Yep. Our, like our, how we're going to have to approach our morality, our, our ethics and our choices, because that's how they play out in the world. Yep is always going to be subjective 100% of the time. That doesn't mean that, that there isn't yep. absolute. You're right. That doesn't mean exactly. there isn't absolute right or wrong. And that doesn't mean that there isn't something objective there and that we should even strive for that. But our reality will always, period, 100% of the time, be subjective. Perfect. So let me, let me yep. th- I'm glad you brought that up, Jared, because we've been talking about Nazi Germany and, and, and hiding <laughs> Jewish people. Uh, which I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been hiding, haven't had the opportunity nor the need to hide Jews in my basement. Depends uh, who's asking. <laughs> so, so uh, bad. So bad. Was that too far? Yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. Ping. There's, well, you last, should do it. Like, can't you edit 
uh, Josh, can you edit like every time Gabe says, "Was that too far?" We can, you know, a Do bell a tally. Or something. Yeah, I need like some type of ding or bell or <laughs> right, ping, ping, ghost scream. Go. Well, Sorry, Tom. Week, keep going. Last week I may have mentioned hitting and striking Jews, but that yeah, wasn't what I meant. Uh, dark turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Subtext, people. All right, so. Because I haven't, we haven't had those experiences here. Uh, thank the Lord. I, I, I did recall another ethical dilemma that I ran into a couple of years ago. And Jared, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to be the first one to respond to this again because you're the first one to respond. We asked you to respond to the, the, the hypothetical. Well, it's, was it wasn't hypothetical. It's hypothetical now. But anyway, right. For um, me, it is because I'm not hiding any, any. So when, when I was with Thrivent. I, uh, I had the uh, the director uh, uh, of another organization come to me uh, because we were friends, and they had a position open, and they said, "Do you know of anybody that would be a good fit for this position?" And I knew that one of my reps would have been absolutely perfect. Jared. Yeah, it, it was you, Jared. <laughs> uh, Jared wasn't one of my reps, but I. It was this. It was, this thought process went through my head of, man, I should just go and talk to this person, let them know that there's this job opening, and that that would be really great. On the flip side, uh, this was one of my best producers, and by essentially booting them out the door, by telling them that there's this other job, which the job wasn't that much better for pay. It would have been a nice, uh, like for their career wise, it would have been a nice different title change and trajectory and things like that. But I would lose my, one of my best producers, which means uh, I might not hit my goals next year, which means I might be let go and I'm not able to feed my family or, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to go with, with that situation. And so the dilemma is, do I say anything to the rep? Do I tell my friend from the other organization, you know, know what? I, I don't know of anybody who'd be perfect. Or do I throw myself under the bus and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose this person? So that's where it gets interesting, right? When the when like we're we're you know, we're talking about this means to an end and this idea of reward and you press on and some prize and some and some good thing happens, that's where that's where Jesus especially flips it on on its head, right? Because when you when you when you make it when you make a choice of something you know that's going to be detrimental to yourself something that's intentionally sacrificial that's where it gets interesting right, that's kind of what you're and that's when you make that's kind, of, kind of what you're getting at tom so are you saying are you saying yeah. josh yeah. well i mean saying, i don't jared that that being sacrificial then is like that's definitely the way to go because it's being sacrificial just on that premise alone good question yeah i i feel like uh <laughs> I, I feel like I want to, I want to say not necessarily, um, because there's always a lot going on, but, uh, but sacrifice is a good thing. Yeah. A lot of good things happen in the world when people make choices that, uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that that is, uh, just because it, just because it is just because it is sacrificial. Um, right. right I mean, in one sense, like ISIS suicide bombers, view themselves as being sacrificial to a greater cause, right? So it depends on what the cause is. Right. But if it's a good cause, yeah. being sacrificial is perhaps inherently good. 
but that yeah, yeah. I don't want to be uh, don't want to be on the side of ISIS here, but they think they have a good cause, and so they are sacrificing themselves. Right. It's the same thing as me jumping on the grenade to save my my American buddies in the trench, right? 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 Yep. I mean, that's mm-hmm. being sacrificial. Well, to, so to me, again, then it comes down to teleology. Like, what's what's the end towards you sacrificing yourself? Well, and and that's where it gets interesting because, well, let's let's just run this out that that I tell the person about the job, they take it, I uh, I lose my best producer, I end up not making my goals, I get fired, my family's hungry, you know, I'm not able to find another job, we get sent into abject poverty, blah, 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 right? Let's just pretend that happened. Worst case scenario. Who knew death spirals like that were possible with Thrivent? The butterfly effect is really, really intense there. Yeah, it is. But, you know, when it comes to that kind of situation... Sometimes that happens. It does. But, like, I will steal for my children to eat. I will steal bread so that my family can eat. Now I'm making another ethical choice of do i steal so that my children don't die you're you such know? an immoral person tom i don't know if i can continue this podcast with you uh, because i'm so that, moral no because you're so immoral you, you have to immoral. like you have no morals i mean none jesus all you know it was i'm leaning towards saying uh, almost that um, that idea of of it, it being sacrificial makes a huge makes a huge difference actually right when when i mean just did so much for the you know like for the good of the other person for the good of whoever for the good of your it, the i mean there's a big time reason that that there were only a couple greatest commandments right and one of them had to do with the good of other people and so yeah i mean i think if I were to put those, let's say like two scenarios happen together, right? One where your family is in abject, in abject, abject poverty, they're probably not going to happen quite that, that intensely because you know, what reality, what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to uh, give that person that recognition because it more than just makes you feel good. Cause that's, cause that's not enough, but to, to do something good, to do something that, that, brings uh yeah a really good for another for another person makes massive massive difference makes massive massive impact in a different way than than i save my butt for one day so right so the the so, impact so what, what yeah. impact is that going to be i mean we we kind of keep going back to which I, th- I i think is relevant we keep going back to the good place show so if i make all this sacrificial all these sacrifices in my life, you know, one after the another for the greater good of other people that, that still doesn't land me in a well, better for, place. Well, for, for that, under that ethic, it does that your sacrifices uh-huh. in this life reward you with the, uh, fulfillment of all your hedonistic desires. And that is the end goal. But I would venture to say that if I could distill the entire biblical ethic into one phrase, it would be for the sake of the neighbor. So the situation and scenario in which you're hiding Jews, you are breaking a commandment. You are uh, committing a moral failure for the sake of those neighbors. 
Um, and I think that that is, in my opinion, a fairly safe bet. And if I look at moral decisions that I have to make in my ministry, in the community, in my workplace, I mean, in pretty much every area of life. And so it's kind of a cop-out, um, but I also think that I would rather err on that side and say I made moral decisions based on what is best for my neighbor uh, than what is highest on my priority list for myself. Here's a struggle okay, so with that, though. Is it ridiculous to go 10 years past World War II and you are living in Argentina and uh, – the Argentinian government or American soldiers come down and they are come to your house be- and you are now hiding Nazi Nazis in your house. Tom, you are making up the most preposterous scenario so, I've ever heard in my entire um, life. Did Nazis scenario. just come to Argentina? Is that what just happened? They Apparently. did. Yeah. Well, they did actually, but that's neither here nor there. No, so, so for the bet for the betterment of your community where you have Nazis who, who went there no, Tom, escape. here's a, here's a much more realistic one. If during the Nuremberg trials, I were to stand up and say, yes, they committed crimes. Yes, they deserve to die, but I don't want them punished by death. Sure. Okay. Okay. So I'm not going to either of those stupid ideas. Let me get back to Tom's. Oh, okay? come on, Gabe. Listen, you we love all know ideas. I'm the rational voice here. Okay. Uh, so... Tom's scenario, here's the struggle. Yes, you sacrifice for the good of your neighbor. In Tom's scenario, who is his neighbor? Right. Okay? Uh, yeah. yeah. You're this choosing between struggle. two different neighbors. You're choosing between two different neighbors. And, and that's where I would actually say, vocationally, he actually needs to choose his kids over his coworker. No, but that's a hypothetical rabbit hole. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah, in the hypothetical rabbit hole, that to me is the no-brainer. However, passing this job on to his top performer does not inherently mean his kids are falling into abject poverty. That would actually only happen because Tom was lazy and didn't do the job when he should have. Right. There'd be a lot of other moral and otherwise failures that would have to take right. place. It would, for- it would have to be a series of other failures that would lead to him not providing for his kids. So it's sort of a – it's not that – so then in my mind – the actual correct move is for him to pass on this better opportunity and work harder himself so that he takes care of both his co-working neighbor and his children who are also his neighbors. Mm-hmm. Got to do double duty. Tom. That feels like the, that feels to me, Gabe, like the, the morally best option. Yeah. Even put it on there. Like that's the morally best option. Gabe, you're so smart. You're so I know. Smart. I told you. The interesting thing though, is it's not that well, Tom, don't take us down another hypothetical rabbit hole. No, like it's not. Let I was just going to say it's, it's, it's not so hypothetical. Remember when the communists ended up in Peru? No, it, I mean, it is hypothetical because that'd be like, okay, when I get to Chattanooga and I think about where am I going to plant my church? If I plant my church in the hood, then there's a possibility that one day by me taking my kids to church in the hood, someone's going to drive by in a cutlass, shoot up the rec center, kill my kids, and therefore I'm morally responsible for their deaths. Like that's just preposterous to think about because then that's paralyzing. And let me just go back to what I said at the very beginning. I think that the fear to actually take a stand and say right or wrong, risk or inconvenience, I'm willing to say with an absolute amount of faith 
not an absolute amount of absoluteness, but an absolute amount of faith that mm. I'm going to make this moral or ethical decision and actually stand by it. That is what paralyzes Americans and even most Christians to, in America today to really take a stand on anything resembling morality. Because your situation, like, or my situation, I could let the hypothetical rabbit hole dictate how I the the actual choice that I make in that moment. And that does nothing but cause paralysis. So I, I guess I would just I, I would push back and disagree just a little bit because in your scenario that is an incredible hypothetical situation. It is it is one eventuality that could happen. So yeah, yours, you might though. have it. Like no. to say that just because you make a recommendation for one of I, your best performers to get a job, that doesn't even guarantee that person is going to even get an interview, much less the job, and then your children in abject poverty. So I guess I would say that I've seen that scenario play out it, it, and my, in my time at Thrivent. We've had people who are in sales manager roles who they are, they are on – they are on the cusp. They need to have a good year, and they stress out so much because their top producer retires or leaves for another company or something like that. So to do anything that would remove their top producers from, from their team means, yeah, maybe not abject poverty, but it means that come January 1, they are going to be let go. And they stress out about that. I've talked with those people about yeah. that. No, I'm not and doubting so it's, it's not a point of stress. What I'm saying, though, it's, is to it's say not that hypothetical, like, though. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. not hypothetical. It's real. It's very real. But there's, there's just as good a chance that that, that, that top producer – actually, I would say it's probably a better chance. That top producer takes an interview and figures out they're exactly where they belong, and they do their job even better. Right, yeah. Versus send your kids into abject poverty. Anyway, but uh, – <laughs> But there's, 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 but for sure, point, there's for sure more upside for everyone in the situation to pass on that recommendation. Yeah. What was that? I, there's for sure more upside in, in for everyone, I think, in that, in that situation. Right. And, and I think... Uh, to pass it on. Like, I, I agree with this. Like, and it's morally correct. Yes. At the end of the day, just so everybody knows, yeah. I did pass on the name. So let's just get <laughs> Good that. Good job. Cool. Maybe, you're lying, Maybe you're lying. Maybe Your I am lying. Doesn't always point north, buddy. But you know, am I lying to prevent murder? Who knows? Murder. Good question. Um, but I think, on that note, let's all take a big deep breath together. Ready? Breathe in. And out. And with that, our moral compasses just blow in the wind like every other person on this earth. <laughs> and so That's to refocus and recenter us, let us delve back into the mind of Janet O'Neill. Oh, please. And the choices of her musical desires right now. All right, welcome back, Mom. Thanks for the music. Uh, we appreciate your input into our podcast. You know, and that brings up we'd appreciate input from all of our listeners. What what should we talk about? What should we listen to? Uh, 
should Josh and Gabe actually open their mouths or do you just want to hear me talk, which is what I want to do. So, you know, but before we get any further down the road on that, um, let's bring it back and let's just try to summarize our conversation on morality. And I think the best way to to talk about a topic of this magnitude is to boil it down to just one word, one word only. And so uh, I'll start. Uh, my word that came to mind is subjectivity. That's it. Mm. Mine, brilliance. It was just in I reference to my thoughts tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hence hence Tom's comment on subjectivity. Jared, Subjectivity. What about, <laughs> Jared, what about you? Choice. Choice is my word. My choice is one word. Super califragilistic expialidocious. Just think That's about dumb. it. dumb. No, it's not dumb. Think about it. And while you're thinking about it, Tom, I'm going to do some shout outs. First of all, to Jared. Jared, thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. If your brain hurts in the yeah. morning, just pretend like it never happened and then when this episode <laughs> dropped you'll be painfully reminded that it did happen and you were a part of it um aside from jared just want to give a shout out to ax leander you know the election's coming up we've got a lot of moral decisions <laughs> to be made and we know that every sunday at ax church leander in uh in austin texas area gabe is preaching the I don't even want to say this. This is so bad. So I bad. I can't really tell where you're going. It's <laughs> okay. awful. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to say you're preaching the gospel of Trump. Okay. I, I, I won't that. say that even though it might be true. Yeah. Here at Bridge City, we face moral dilemmas on a daily basis. And by moral dilemmas, I mean. Bloods or Crips. Ew. Uh, and while I'm talking about Bridge City, shout out to the big homie Mark D, a.k.a. Marcus Thomas a.k.a. my best friend here in Chattanooga. Hey, Mark, BFFs for life for the musical accompaniment for last week's episode. He was the unnamed artist, the anonymous one. And finally, a shout-out to Tom's place of employment, which is saving he and his children and his wife, Jen, from abject poverty because they don't care what kind of producers he's got. They only want him and all of his goodness. So, Second Harvest, thank you for hiring Tom. So he's not faced with the moral dilemma of whether or not he should steal to feed his family. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oh, wait. Can we share about Jared's place of employment too? Yes. I feel like it'd be the nice thing to do. It would be the nice thing. Uh, Jared, if we wanted to check out Vibrant Faith Ministries, uh, where would we go? How would we find it? And is there any way that maybe our listeners could support you and what you do over there? That's an awesome question. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, vibrantfaith.org is the best spot. Um, if you just go there, you can uh, find out a bunch of stuff. Right at the top of that page, there's a little video that kind of just says, I'm ready, and that lets you know kind of some of the stuff that we've that we've got going on. And there's just some whatever uh, whatever might fit, you can find there on, on that page. And there's a bunch of social media links on there too. So um, if you wanna, if you wanna connect on one of those spaces, that'd be awesome too. Um, and you can find me on there uh, if uh, you want to shoot me an email or uh, ask more about any of that kind of that kind of stuff. So yeah, vibrantfaith.org um, is the is the spot to go. And I'll just I'll, I'll just doubly shout you out there, Jared. I mean, I you it. and I have had a hundred different conversations about a hundred different things, and uh, we've talked a lot about our different ministries and things like that. And 
what I know of you, what I know of Vibrant Faith and uh, and the people who work there and the ministry that you're doing. It is a fantastic place. Uh, so I would I would absolutely check it out. So listeners, go do it. Faux show. Awesome. Well, hey, friends, as we uh, close up, thank you again for being a part of this episode, listening in. Uh, we certainly welcome you uh, to uh, share in the conversation via social media, shoot us an email, whatever works for you. Uh, also, of course, a special thanks to our good friend Janet, her wonderful choice of music this week. Uh, we're so glad to, to have her as our most faithful of listeners. Next time on Pint Glass Preachers, we are doing the first ever Pint Glass Preachers live from the 5-2 National Conference. Uh, it's a place where if you're in the LCMS, our beloved tribe, uh, you think we're all a bunch of pagan fools. And if you're not, you don't even know this conference exists. So Josh and I will be there uh, talking with friends. It's going to be a great time. Looking forward to it. Thanks for being a part of today. Yeah.